Hello, and welcome to Unsheathed with your hosts, Kyle Gold and Cam Hirosaki. We hope that you enjoy the program. Please stick around afterwards. There'll be cake and blowjobs. Hi, welcome to Unsheathed number 53. I am Foxy author Kyle Gold. And I am Otterish writer person Cam Hirosaki. And we're here in a much less rambunctious environment now that there's no weasel here. Took us about a week to calm down from that, I think. The dust has settled. Yes. It was a very entertaining evening. He always brings a lot of uh, must-line energy. And vivacity. And uh, squeakiness. But uh, we were glad to have him on. And uh, we thank him again for gracing us with his presence and coming on and contributing I think we're sort of building a reputation of ourselves of actually having guests. If you would ask me, like when we started this podcast, if I thought we would be like one of those people, you know, groups of people that would have guests on our show, I wouldn't think we would be, but we are. No, it's interesting, and and uh, Kit's actually trying to line up a couple of other guests for us and oh. figure out what kind of people we can have on the show. I'll have to ask him after the show what he's got tapped. I think he just has sort of generic ideas right now, but. <laughs> I think he thinks we're just getting bored by ourselves, so we need to bring in some other people to spice it up. We need our cousin Oliver. No, never cousin Oliver. Would Lovejoy be our cousin Oliver? <laughs> <laughs> wow. I don't know if Lovejoy is old enough to get the cousin Oliver reference. <laughs> I think it's become kind of archetypal. Uh, maybe. That doesn't necessarily mean he knows where it comes from. True. But um, speaking of guests, one of our former guests is quite busy with one of his own projects right now. B-Hop has been sending us updates on the Furry Basketball Association. Oh, yeah. And, in fact, asked us all to create characters for it. And Kit, KM, and I have all contributed characters. And uh, B-Hop says, well, I'm going to just read this letter real quick, mostly from him, because he, he calls out Kit for his wine selection, which I think was kind of amusing. He says... Hey guys, I just listened to your latest episode. Congrats on number 51. Because he's right, of course. You know, 50 is the milestone, but keeping going after the milestone, that's the one that's really, you know, that's tough. Because it's a big, it could be a big letdown then. And Kfish, Napa wine, WTF? Once Kfish comes to his senses, I thought you guys would like to check out the early release of the 2010 FBA Rookie Report. He gives us a link to it. Um,. He says, the pictures haven't all been completed yet, but I know Jay Tigerclaw is working hard to get the Minkton colored as soon as possible. Big congrats to all of your guys for making the top 24. No telling which team will pick up your players, but it's assured all of them will be playing ball in the 2010-2011 season. Right. And for what it's worth, you know, about questioning my wine selection, over Labor Day weekend, I am taking a wine-tasting trip out to Livermore, which at least isn't Napa. I know he can disdain that all he wants that's true that's true i want to get up to russian river at some point too i've never been up there oh it's pretty we've been up there once or twice yeah. it's a really nice area did kit try any of the wine of course he did okay he better have or he had better have that's a weird construction he had better have yeah he did good also we tried the mustard um but anyway, well, we want to thank B-Hop for putting this on, and we're certain that uh, he will keep us updated on the progress of the FBA. And see, now I've got like a personal vested interest in the FBA. So now I have to follow it to see where what happens to... Oh, but we followed player. it anyway, because it's so enjoyable, right? 
Well, yeah, but I mean, now I can follow it on a more personal level. That's true. And not like abstract, you know, like, you know, like the girlfriend who watches football because the boyfriend brings her along. It's like, what what happens when they get it over into the thing at the end of the field? Huh. That's what she said. No, I mean, that's what she said. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think of a way to follow that up. Um, but yeah, like, like our um, fantasy football, now we'll have a personal stake in it and uh we won't tell you which characters are ours but if you go to the fbi rookie report you can try to figure it out i bet at least one of them stands out as being pretty obviously one of ours we'll see that would be my guess people can send in their guesses i don't know if we'll have prizes for them or not but we will call them out yeah so basketball season basketball season in the real world ended like two months ago but the uh yes i remember it very well I was there. Yes, you are. Um, but we got football season coming up, which everyone knows is good for uh, <laughs> Kit's tail is wagon, wagon, wagon over there for football season. And I've been and mine is too. I've been waiting for football ever since getting drunk at the last Super Bowl party. Yes, that's, that's actually not. That. <laughs> that's not why I like football. <laughs> that's why I like the Super Bowl because usually. The teams I'm pulling for don't make it. Although this this year they did. Well, this well, past year. Well, I mean, sort of your secondary teams or third tertiary teams or you know, it, some it, team because you always sort of reconsider your rank your rooting interest when it gets to the playoff time. I did call it though, back when uh when Flane was out here on the last episode of Anthro Podcast, or was that on our show? Which one did he make us make the prediction on? I don't, it was on the Anthropod. Okay, yeah, but I totally called the Super Bowl. Yeah, I think you did. I did. I'm trying to remember who I thought was going to be in it. I think we both said Saints and Indy. We both what? Uh, I did say the Ravens. Um, or maybe, I think maybe me and Flay picked the same teams. But I did pick at least one of them. That's true. You picked the one that won at least. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and of course, you know, I'm knee-deep in editing out of position two so it's been football season for me for like two months now yeah reading uh your drafts has been making me impatient for football to start i'm glad we're only a couple weeks off from that now yeah well preseason's there yeah yeah you know i never actually really like paid a lot of attention to the preseason because like really nothing's really at stake so it's like it's like reading a story when nothing's at stake it's just not interesting yeah well the the there's things at stake but it's more if you follow the team, because what's at stake is not the wins and losses. What's at stake is for the second and third and fourth tier guys, whether they play well enough to get a spot to distinguish on the team. Themselves, yeah. And, you know, so the preseason games, if you're following a team, are important to watch leading up to the roster cuts. And if I was more involved with any particular team at the moment, I would probably be trying to follow that. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not th- that intent on like following it to that level of detail just because I've got other things that are occupying my time that are more pressing, I guess. Right. Although I did catch part of uh, a game while I was at RMFC. But speaking of conventions and things that are coming up in the next few weeks, uh, we're going to be doing our next live show at Rain First on the evening of September 24th, which is a Friday night. Yep. It is scheduled for, I believe, 9 p.m. I think that's correct. And earlier that evening at 7 p.m., Rainfirst is unique among all the conventions that I've been to in that they have an active writing workshop. 
and they challenge people who want to participate to come and write a story over the course of a convention. So it's kind of like a 48-hour story challenge. Yeah. They give you the premise of the story. Last year, I think they gave out pieces of artwork, and you had to write a story about a piece of artwork. Right. Which was, I thought, a cool, and, I thought a cool idea. And this year, they have asked me to lead and judge the writing workshop, so... Oh, I'm not entering, then. I, I'm going to be... <laughs> I have to disqualify myself on grounds that I am not an unbiased party. I'll be there. I'll be there at seven p.m. and we'll be telling you what uh, you guys are going to be writing about for the weekend. So I encourage anyone coming to Rainforest to show up at the workshop and participate. It's a great chance to hone your skills. Forces you to write something over the course of a weekend. Yes, without dithering. Without dithering, and there will be people on hand to talk through your stuff, and then we'll critique it afterwards. Speaking of dithering, I'm still not making much, if any, headway on Summerhill. I was looking at it last night, and I'm just like, oh my god, the story is so hard. Um, Someday I'll finish. One of, one of my favorite lines, of course, movie lines, is the hard is what makes it good. And I don't mean that in the prurient sense that you, you, you can't, might think. You can mean it that way. I Thank you, but I don't. <laughs> you, you, um, you, you may. But um, one more announcement about our live shows. We had secured a place and had a tentative date, and we realized that the date kind of crept up on us too soon. We want to give everybody time to make plans to come see us at our live show, which is going to be down in San Jose. So we're going to push it back out to October 23rd. So our live summer show tentatively is going to be October 23rd possibly 24th we're going to see what time works that weekend but if you feel like coming out to san jose for a live show um and don't have anything else going on the weekend before halloween that's when we're going to be doing it yep i would say come one come all but please don't come all i don't know if we have enough room <laughs> oh it's out into the street are we that good no <laughs> oh so our letters this week, we're starting off with a couple letters about, um, well, we're starting with another instance of us inspiring a listener, although I'm not sure we're proud of that one. We're going to talk a little bit about furry and furry characters and stuff and then sort of go off on other tangents. Yeah, so, I I was looking over this week's letters and I'm just like, oh, I could go on for hours on this subject, but I won't. So I'll start off with the first one. First off, I'd just like to say that I love the podcast, but right now, I so hate you guys at the moment, and that includes NotTube as well. Though I did love his story in X, as well as Kyle and KM's. All were magnificent pieces of work. Thank you. Back on topic, though. Yes, thank you. I was listening to episode 42, and then you guys had to bring up that thing about going back in time and doing yourself, which, oddly enough, me and my friends had been talking about two days before the latest ep came out. Don't ask. You can't say something like that and then not have us ask. And hearing you guys spurred me to write it. Before I'd even finished listening to the podcast, I already had three paragraphs. By the time you read this, if you do, the story shall all likely already be done. Can't wait to hear more of the podcast. Signed, Theorian, the ever-elusive Black Panther. Yeah, okay, so, so I have to ask, why were you and your friends talking about going back in time and doing yourself? Yeah, you can't I, be that embarrassed about it, because we did it on... I was going to say, like, I know pub, why we were talking about it. We were, I want to know why you were talking about yeah, it. Yeah, we talked about it on a public podcast that we just sort of recorded and sent out to the whole world, so... Show your balls, Theorian. Do it. Not literally. Yeah, well, 
No. <laughs> please, please don't. Going by some of the things I've gotten from fans, I wouldn't put it past some people. Uh, we we do need to add that disclaimer, yes. <laughs> NB, please do not. Yeah. NB, do not literally show your balls. <laughs> he literally showed me his balls. Uh, but yeah, if you want to give us a follow-up on that, I'm sure that we would all, uh, we could enjoy the lulls or something. I don't, I don't even. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Go on. I will go we'll on. We'll go on with the next one. Dear Authors Perverse. I don't think we're particularly perverse, either one of us. Well, D&D blowjob. No, but we are often. Disclaimers notwithstanding. But we are often baffling. <laughs> we are often baffling. Yes. I will not disagree a few episodes ago with the transubstantiation i was just thinking about that in the shower the other day actually the topic was about not reading a story with a certain species or in kyle's case making an emotional connection to the obvious barbaric savage of the story i don't think that was quite the idea of what you were trying to say yeah i don't quite remember what i was talking about there either so yeah there's a third response to a species that you haven't touched on, or, or I guess maybe we need to say the matter of species that we haven't touched on. You could have an emotional connection to it or disinterest or non-attraction to it, but you can also have an emotional rejection or resistance of that species because for the reader, said species carries some baggage with it. This could be the stereotypes that the species has acquired, either in real life or in the fandom, or it could be what the reader associates with it. For instance, I cannot find a connection with male lions. I associate them with deadbeat dads because real male lions just fucking fight while the females do all the work. I can't shake the image of a fat male lion sitting on a recliner cracking open a Bud Light while his harem cooks and cleans and raises the children. That's an awesome image, by the way. It is an awesome image. (laughs) Artists draw that. By the same token, if there's a story for it with a very odd or unused species, it might also cause some issues with the reader connectivity. A story with a fox is much easier to relate to in the fandom than, say, a story that stars a camel or an ostrich. Or if you write a story with a linsang, and then you get 8,700 emails saying, I like your story, what's a linsang? Let me Google that for you. (laughs) Mostly (laughs) mostly country music. Sorry. Loretta Lynn sang. Yes, I I, I know what you meant. I see what you did there. Since species selection is so pertinent to the character, do you ever think about the baggage that the species select will bring to the character, or how the reader might react to the character? Always. And if so, always, yes, that's kind of the point. Uh, and if so, do you ever try to take advantage of this baggage in special ways that fit the character? Yes. Yes. <laughs> For me, I like to play with these things, like an assertive mouse or a wolf who plays the Omega rather than the Alpha. From Rashan. And I will quickly point out that in every pack of wolves, one of them has to be the Omega. Not every wolf gets to be the Alpha. Yeah, exactly. One wolf gets to be the Alpha. Someone should should make a movie about that. (laughs) Um, Oh, all 89 minutes of a new generation of furry fuel. Yep, yep, yep. So, yes, in, you know, short answer, yes, we do think about that. That's part of why we make our characters furry. Both playing with type and playing against type are valid literary techniques to employ in this case. Though, one thing to be careful of is that the type that you're playing towards or against is not a 
construct peculiar to the furry fandom. Like, lol, foxes are sluts. Don't write like that. Right. I'm not even a fox, and that pisses me off. Or, you know, all... I don't know what All otters are sluts, or all all otters otters are just slippery foxes and are sluts. Right. Or, Or, uh... We have slippery muzzles, and we all stretch really far. See, that's the thing. Is like now, like people keep tweeting at me about like otter stretchiness, and I'm like, I don't think that otter stretchiness was ever a thing. (laughs) Oh, it is now. Yeah, it is now. Apparently. (laughs) Wow, I've contributed something to the fandom. You, you, you and (laughs) Zouch. Wow. Guess Zouch has contributed quite a bit to the fandom. Um, And everyone's stretchy in Zouch's art. Look at Citrus. Well, but Citrus are completely made up things. Yeah, well, it's partly made out of elastic, too. Well, yes. <laughs> I guess that's half the point. Their bottoms are made out of rubber, their tops are made out of springs. <laughs> Have you seen what your body has to go through to pull off the pleasure pretzel? I don't know that one. Or the the Glamour Slammer is the other one I'm particularly oh, oh, fond oh, oh. of. Right, right, the Kama Sutra. Uh, I'm sure that there are people who are listening to this right now that can turn their heads 90 degrees in one direction or the other and see that on their wall. I'm sure there are people that don't even have to turn their heads. <laughs> they can just close their eyes and just like, like a like a ment hat from Dune, just pff, the Kama Sutra is there in front of their eyes. <laughs> um, Look, I made a nerd joke that wasn't about Star Wars. You're welcome. A furry nerd joke. That's bizarre boom but um but yeah the the thing and we've we've gone over this before is that i'm having trouble think coming up with other sort of fandom stereotypes right now but most of them i think have to do with certain species being sluts i guess but rabbits yeah rabbits dragons (laughs) cats well they're just l-shaped I knew that's exactly what you were going to say. Mostly that's what I know about chickats. So anyway, the it's and it's sometimes tough because the fandom stereotypes are based on or, or grow out of, I guess, um real world associations with the animals a lot of the time. Right. So you still have the kind of well, foxes are supposed to be clever and everything. Uh you have wolves being strong. Um, and those are all things that come out of the real world, and it's okay yeah. to sort of play with them, but realize that if you're writing your story for a larger audience than just the fandom, or even people in the fandom who might not be aware of some of the fandom stereotypes, right? that, you know, they're going to be like, what do you mean Alexander was an unusual fox in that he didn't immediately jump on a guy when he came into the party and pull his pants down? So I didn't realize that was a thing. Yes. Now, if you're writing what's like an obvious humor parody piece for the furry fandom, this rule clearly does not apply. Like in a story I myself wrote, which Called was the fox with the broken sex. Exactly. Right? But I mean, that's the exception to the rule because that was the point of that story was right. to exactly poke fun of fandom stereotypes. Exactly. And it was also kind of hot. I went back and read it a few years later, and I was just like, oh, hey. (laughs) So. I wrote that while I was at work. Anyway, um, that's kind of (laughs) hot. Yes. Uh, That's why I'm telling people. 
I'm a naughty little... Oh, never mind. I'm not going to finish that sentence. You can guess what that next word was going to be. Anyway, the a lot of what I do with my worlds in Out of Position is sort of relate animals to types of people. Yeah. So, you know, otters are kind of smaller, playful people. Foxes are smaller, quick, and cleverer people. Um, wolves are going to be a little bigger and stronger, good family, loyalty, stuff like that. Tigers are more loners, but bigger, stronger physically, and they kind of go along with those big, strong, physical human types. And, you know, you get all those... Coyotes are dirty mongrels with fidelity issues. Yes, and mange. (laughs) (laughs) I really like the way that you work that into your, like, the the Lee's Guide to Football at the beginning-ish of... uh out of position. It's not in the very can, beginning, is it? No, it's, it's, kind of, it's, it's, it's after just, the first it's part. It's after the first part? That's what I thought. Because the second part is where you really start getting into the game of football. Right. But I really think that in a world where there were there's so much variation, physical variation in type, that, um, that that's how they would handle the games, is you would have certain positions that would be yeah. devoted to certain body types. Like, I'm, I'm having a hard time imagining an otter quarterback. Right. Or, like, an otter linebacker. Well, there wouldn't be a linebacker. There is an otter. There is an otter running back, but it's yeah. called out as being unusual, right? But but I can see where, like, depending on play style, where that could be valid. That's like Barry Sanders would be yeah. an otter. Yeah. There, ooh, there you go. Hey. <laughs> um, but I can totally see like otters being like wide receivers or something. Or, there was actually uh, so I was I was watching this reality football show called Hard Knocks. Pulled it up on Hulu, and one of the one of the guys, it was a quarterback, so he wasn't even one of the big guys, but the quarterback was kind of walking around with his wife at the beginning of the show. And I was like, oh, God, that's almost like a Devin Lee body types. Because the quarterback, you know, six foot, six and a half foot, yeah, whatever, big. And his wife must have been five foot if she was an inch. And um, she's all sort of slender, and he's more built than muscular. And I was like, wow, that's like if they were to film Devin Lee, if they would just make her a guy – that would like totally or a guy be... in a dress pretending to be the wife. <laughs> yeah. Yes, <laughs> and a wig. Anyway, so I missed the next like three minutes of the show. I had to rewind. <laughs> <clears throat> Omer, as they say. But moving on, dear sheathers, I must apologize this week for a slightly longer than normal letter. This is from Condrell, so you know, get comfortable. Just this past week, I finished a story and distributed it to friends for comments and editing. So far, the response has been really positive. I was excited about it as well, as the story felt compelling and interesting even to me as I write. It has everything that I want to include in a short story. Solid character definition and progression, a gripping narrative, a unique story that fits the short length ideally, etc. In the midst of that excitement, though, one bit of criticism bit through the haze of excitement. Furrow doesn't seem to add anything to the story, I was told. The characters could all be human, and it would read the same. This comment sent me reeling, mainly because it's right. Now, in my defense, I did plan to make a big deal of the furry aspect. I was going to have species be an analog for racial tension, and unique adaptations to environment that different kinds of furs would evolve, and class politics based on species stereotypes. They were all good plans, but the problem is that none of them really did anything for the story. In effect, I've written furry out of the story entirely. This leaves me in a rough place. I'm afraid to take the furry aspect out completely, even though as it stands, it's just a useless appendage to the story. I see the characters as furry. Further, 
I know that I'm more compelled by them because they're furry, even though nothing's done with it in a narrative sense. Worse, in a realistic, and perhaps greedy, sense, I know that it's if it's not even superficially furry, it's much less likely to be read. With a few comments here and there to tails and whiskers and muzzles, I keep the story within my chosen metagenre and fandom. I'm comfortable being compared to other furry authors. Without those references to furry, the story suddenly becomes the proverbial little fish in a big pond. I've never posted something outside the fandom, and to be honest, I wouldn't even know where to start. In essence, I'm making the story just marginally worse to make it appeal to the fandom I know and love. I can see the reason and logic to it. It just leaves me feeling dirty. Does this make sense? Have either of you had to do this before? Thanks. Candrel, the unconvinced philatist. You're a dirty fox, Candrel. He is a dirty, a dirty fox. dirty, dirty fox. Um, I'm going to go back to a uh, quote from uh, The Simpsons, where it's broke it or made it better. <laughs> Uh, you're saying that the furry doesn't add anything to the story, but if it doesn't detract from the story, then I think it's okay. I mean, I have written stories that I'm fully aware that the the furry aspect of it doesn't really come into play at all. Actually, the most recent story I posted online, which is uh, Single... There's nothing really intrinsically furry about it other than the species of the characters. But then again, you know, it's also... That's also an erotic story, and so there's a component of that to the the visual aesthetic that goes with sort of the, the sexuality theme, which, I mean, I'm writing a sexually charged story to a group of people that I know sexually appreciate animal people. So, yes, it's not part of the main narrative, but... As we, will, as we will see later on in an upcoming letter. Yeah, I mean, but but it's still, I wouldn't want to take that out because then again, it's it changes the story. It changes who those characters are, both to me and to the readers. And I, I just wanted to comment on sort of the whole seeing the characters as furry. I think that's important. And I was having this discussion with Foosball because I had an idea for a story the other day that. I've kind of started taking down notes for it, which is not a furry story. The characters are all human, and it takes place in kind of a human world. And I was, as I was thinking about it, I was just putting the story together in my head, and I realized, well, these characters aren't furry characters. They're just people. But on the other hand, there was another story that I got an idea for while reading a book specifically about people. It wasn't a furry book at all. And those characters are definitely furry. And I'm not sure what furry adds to that world but i do know i mean it's set in the forester universe so i know the characters are definitely furry right even though they don't really have to be it's just that's the way the story came to me and i think what's important about that is that we've talked before about you have to really know your characters well and if you try to force the characters to not be furry even though that's how you think of them then your story's going to suffer, actually, because you're not going to have as good a handle on the characters. You're yeah. going to be kind of... It's, it's as if we took someone who isn't furry and said, okay, you have to write a story. Like, Have you ever read a story by a, a, a non-furry author attempting to write a furry story? Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, they don't really quite get it, and you can see that. Yeah. Where they're, they're thinking too much in terms of them being animals and not animal people. Right. Is is the mistake I usually see. Or the, not the misstep, the misstep, I guess. The Saying jar, that you're doing it jar, wrong is right. kind of rude. And I don't want to tell any author that they're doing it wrong except when they patently are. 
Exactly, which is what we're here for. Yeah. You're welcome, fandom. We provide a service. So I would say don't stress about the characters being furry. If people yeah. say, well, it doesn't have to be furry, then just kind of shrug and say, but does it make it worse? Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it sounds like you're very proud of this story and you're very confident about it. Don't second get yourself, second guess yourself based on that. Yeah. It was like I love when those story. I mean, I know that feeling that you have when the characters yeah. all come together and the story is the right length and the plot works and everything. And those stories are amazing. Don't pick at small things that are kind of blocking you from getting this done. So otherwise, this is the antithesis of what Summerhill is to me. <laughs> Damn you, Summerhill! Summerhill is still trying to find itself. It, it is. Will. It just, yes. That's, how, how apropos is all I'll say. You've, you've read what I've written, so you understand how apropos that is. Oh, I understand. Yes. All right. But like, I'm thinking back to something that you said uh, back during our live uh, RMFC episode about uh, people who are looking at the previews of Across the Nice at Comic-Con, where most people thought, like, oh, hey, yeah, cool. And then you had, like, the one person who's like, well, why do they have to be dog-headed people? It's like, because that's how I'm telling this story. Right. And and that's, you know, Candle, like, that's all you need. It's just like, you know what? Like, why are these characters animals? Because that's the story I told. That's how I made the characters. This is who they are. Deal with it. GTFO. RTFM. <laughs> Um, so, and, and, you know, this is kind JNSQ. of, kind of not to say, oh, you can just toss furry species into your story and not justify it. Yeah. Don't do it willy nilly. But I think, I think, and I think what I would call out in your letter is you should say more than just, oh, a passing reference to ears and tails and muzzles. Put some, put a little more in there. If the universe is going to be furry, yeah, you can have all that background you're talking about, analogs of racial tension and such, and you can have them in as kind of really sub-below-the-surface stuff in your story. It doesn't have to be called out in the story like, oh, we hate all raccoons because they're lazy and, you know, we hate all otters because they're slippery and, you know, this is the, I don't know, wolf superiority group. But... What you can do is just have characters kind of react based on the species. Like, oh, one wolf says, oh, I'll trust him. He's a wolf. Yeah. Like, the species trust each other. Stuff like that. If you just toss in a couple little colorful details, and that's stuff you can do going back and editing, then it makes the furry aspect a lot more integral to the world. Yeah. And I can think of plenty of stories, particularly novels, where the plot and the main narrative doesn't depend on the characters being furry, but the setting does. Like, Out of Position is an example. Like, the whole forest universe and the whole thing about, you know, these animal people playing football and whatnot, and just that whole society. I mean, like, the whole rubric of what that's exploring depends on the characters being animal people. But the main story of Devin Lee doesn't necessarily hinge on one of them being a tiger and one of them being a fox. No. I, well, no, but... This kind of goes back to my argument that you can you can sort of pull a reducto ad absurdum on any argument as far as does this story need to be furry? Like, yeah. does Watership Down need to be furry about rabbits? Well, you know, at the core of it, it's about a group of people turned out of their homeland trying to find a new place to live and encountering hostile <laughs> tribes. And you could write that with humans. Yeah, it's called Exodus. <laughs> Plus one, sir. There you go. 
Or, um, well, there's also Common and Precious, which sort of, it's not racial tension so much as classism. Right. Which comes into that, which is another thing that you actually don't see explored as much in furry fiction, I noticed. I don't know if it's because it's a subject matter that people are afraid to broach or that people just aren't interested in writing as much, but that's an interesting example. You all should read that book. I keep recommending it. Apparently, uh, Zia McCorkey has been selling them. Oh, really? Well, that's good. At, well, he's at a convention this weekend. Oh, that's the right. The weekend we're recording this, which is going to be like a week or two before it airs. But well, um, I already refer to my upcoming Labor Day weekend trip, and this is probably not going to come out until after Labor Day weekend. So, yeah. <laughs> so now we can tell people where we were. We've ruined we're the magic. Going to haven't been. It's like taking the head off of a fursuit in public. The magic is ruined. <laughs> Shall I read the next letter? Please Have read we? the next letter. Okay. Hi, Foxy and Ottery. I was listening to Unsheath 44, where you were talking about just good enough and how people lavish praise upon stories that don't deserve it. However, I've experienced an odd offshoot of this marketing tendency. Does he mean marketing or market? I've pulled down about six stories in my time because they don't have sex, or at least didn't have them as as often as they liked, or with whom they liked, etc., I remember getting comments on my stories that basically said, Make them yif. Give us Barabbas. I've gotten Surrender even- Dorothy. <laughs> Surrender Dorothy. I've gotten even weirder comments when I do have characters yif. I have to wonder how many other writers out there just don't post stuff because they don't want to go through the creepy factor. I have a friend who is an exceptional writer who no longer writes in the fandom from being stalked by a fur who, well, wanted things. Badly. <laughs> Blue Wizard needs food badly. Blue so Fox how do you handle badly? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was adorable. I know. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome, fandom. So how do you handle these types of comments? I'm thinking I'm doing it wrong here and should be approaching these thing these type of things differently, but it just can be disturbing sometimes. Thanks for a wonderful podcast. Jeremy Graham Lion. I want to emphasize that I said blue and not any other particular shade of blue. When I said blue fox, I did not mean a big blue fox. I did not mean any specific blue or, fox. Or, or a might, teal fox. Or a, nor a teal fox. Yeah. Nor any specific fox. I was choosing a primary color and a species, and they happened to come together in that way. It also had to be one of the primary colors that was in Gauntlet. Right. And red red fox would just be too generic. Right, right. As opposed to, you know, Blue Valkyrie. But no, um... Or Green Elf. <laughs> green Elf Wizard is about to die. <laughs> um, so, when it comes to writing sex stories and posting them online, you are going to get creepy comments. You are going to get weird fans leaving comments. You yeah. kind of There's nothing you can do that's going to avoid that. Nothing can really discourage that unless you put a disclaimer in all of your stories that says, hey, if you're weird and creepy, don't comment on this, which at that point you're just being a jerk. Right, and, and it won't work beyond that. Um, it, it seems to happen more for artists than authors. Uh, uh, I know... I have gotten my share. Well, but I know... Yeah. Um, Demi Kerr posted something recently because people were posting inappropriate comments and she had to kind of call out, look, just because I draw porn does not mean that you can make references to doing inappropriate things to me, which you would think you wouldn't have to post in public, but apparently (laughs) she did. 
Um, yeah, and we, you know, you're going to get this, and you just have to kind of deal with it. I know none of our listeners would ever do anything that inappropriate. Yeah, I mean, we we are a fandom that is a bit more freely sexual than baseline society. And, you know, if you write a story where people are just going, like, oh, these characters should yiff, and, like, that's not the point of the story, just ignore those people, because those people are going to say that about any story. Right. Just write the story that you want to write. Don't write what people, like, somebody you don't know who's just asking for sex because they want something to jerk off to, their opinion shouldn't matter to your non-sexual story. And you shouldn't exactly. take your story down, because people like that are saying it they're they're the ones being rude and disrespectful you're not doing anything wrong by writing a story where oh god just because there's animal people in the story like oh they're not fucking like that's that's you're not doing anything wrong by writing that no and you i mean right back to the fans who do appreciate your stories on, yeah on a better level and you know ignore the ones that make inappropriate comments and that yeah that also goes for people who are i mean it's not just the sexual comments but it's people who are like why don't you write a story about lions or why don't you write a story yeah. about impalas or why don't you write a story about naked mole rats or whatever my favorite species happens to be impala I mean, believe me i understand the desire to see your favorite species represented in a story but there's not a whole lot that i can do about that i mean those are less objectionable and i, I usually kind of smile and say you yeah. know, I'll keep the species in mind and whatever. But again, it's not really appreciating the core of the story. Yeah. Um, my question, though, I, I I was kind of curious why you pulled down the stories. Was it yeah. because of comments of people saying, oh, they should have sex? Or was it because you didn't get any comments apart from those? Because I know yeah. people that have said, oh, I post stuff with no yiff in it and then it never gets comments. So I take it down. Yeah. It depends on where you're posting it. I mean, with Yifstar, there is, and that was in the site's name, there was a, you know, market bias towards that sort of thing. And there was, like, the, like, no Yif category, but it probably didn't get as much traffic. And there's a lot of people that troll that site. Yeah. Not troll. Um, a lot of people who sort of peruse that site specifically looking for sex stories. And occasionally they'll get frustrated when a story doesn't have it and say, Hey, I really like the characters. I want to see them having sex. Yeah. You, you know how you do that? You take the characters and the story you just read about and you fantasize them, uh, fantasize about them having sex and you jerk off to that. How do you think, you know, people will get all this fan art of stuff from like Robin Hood and whatnot? They don't have sex in the movie. I can tell you that much. <laughs> We've watched. But I, bet that, but I bet that's gone through most of our readers' heads. This is what the human brain is capable of. So, so we're, um, you know, just you get a lot of comments from people. Um, I try to respond to most comments I get, but the ones, the people that I that I cor that I end up doing having more correspondence with as fans are the ones that write something more thoughtful about the stories. Right. And so I try to do sort of positively encourage yeah. that. If you're polite and professional, there's a much more you know you have a much higher chance of getting a response from the person you're trying to approach. Yeah. And, you know, from the author's side, just, uh, KM said it best, write the story you want to write. Yeah. And the people that will appreciate it will appreciate it, and they'll find it. Never apologize for your art. Exactly. And I think that's a good note to leave it on. Um, we're uh, You can 
write us more letters. We've asked you for follow-ups and to guess which players in the FBA rookie class are ours. You can write us at unsheathedpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on FA as Unsheathed. And as always, I am Kyle Gold on Twitter, Kyle Gold on LiveJournal, and Kyle on FA. I am Cam Hirosaki on all three of those. And, you know, that has links to my, you know, ways to send me emails or private messages. And uh, Kit is Kit Silver on Twitter, although he doesn't Twitter very much. Yeah, there's not really a whole lot to tweet about when you're just a tech guy. And a wine supplier. That sounds like a challenge. You know I like and respect you, Kit. Well, as always, thanks to the fans for listening in. And uh, keep writing, everyone.